This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 76. Yes, not 1776. We don't have freedom anymore. We are going to compare raw and equipped numbers today. Yes. Or we're going to talk about comparing raw and equipped numbers. Um, But before we get into that, let's tie up some loose ends from past episodes. A lot of positive feedback on the Bob Merck transitioning from raw to equipped episode yes our uh one of our highest listen the initial highest listens like i always kind of look at the first 24 hours um yeah set set a new mark for uh for that for that first 24 hours so yeah uh, i mean we're going to kind of continue along that same topic with raw and equipped today i think that's definitely a topic that uh our listeners enjoy hearing about absolutely um i think uh you said that you talked to Hunter Hernandez I recently? Did. I did, actually. I uh, actually had lunch with him out in Las Vegas. I'll talk about uh, my Vegas trip here in a second. Uh, but yeah, we had lunch and a uh, great conversation, uh, really hanging out with him and his, uh, and his son. Uh, great food. And what he has seen over the last probably 90 days or so is just a, a deluge of activity around the Multiply Facebook group. Um, and it's not a hundred percent because of you know our conversations or our podcast, like. But there's definitely he sees more people referencing the Strength and Anger podcast throughout that group, which is great. Like, I definitely appreciate it. But it's exciting as we talk about these comparing raw and equipped and uh, kind of the difference in culture there. That uh, you know we are becoming a contributing factor to that, which is which is cool. It's just neat to see. Yeah, it's it's funny that you had lunch with him actually on my way back from Wisconsin, which I will talk to in just a little bit. Uh, Seeing remote team stone. Yep, I revisited our uh, episode and uh, listened to that, and I still agree with most of my main points in yeah, there. Yeah, um, I don't know that Hunter fully uh, answered some of my questions because I don't know that he. I, I, not to say I don't know that he had an answer, but you know, one of my main contentions was. You know, where is the line? We yep. both ag- – I thought we would both agree there was a line. Like, should we allow elbow wraps? Should we allow two bench shirts? Should we allow five unity wraps? And he didn't really seem to indicate he thought there should be a line. No. You know, since the slanger shirts go above the elbow, mm-hmm. the slanger shirts are super thick. They're not shirts. Um, so, anyways, we, yeah. we've talked about that enough. Many, but, many uh, times. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to go back and listen to it, that was our <laughs> first uh, point counterpoint and – um, I definitely think that we will have someone else on that disagrees with us yeah. and do something else you, similar you, you made, did make an interesting suggestion. I don't know if I agree with it, but you did make an interesting suggestion. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a very good talk because we did disagree with Hunter, Yeah, but it was a cordial conversation. You know, I, I like Hunter. Um, I think he's a, a positive influence on the sport. Absolutely. Um, and, and enjoyed hearing his opinion. And he, he's actually doing his first APF meet uh, in March. Okay, very good. Well, I think he did he did. Well, no, he did. He did summer bash. He so. did the summer bash. First, first, first one in a long time. Yeah, first one in a long time. But yeah. Anyways, uh, Bane, what's going on? Vegas and more Vegas. Yikes. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought usually the rule of thumb is you don't want to stay in Vegas longer than about four or five days. It, can, it just depends on the person. Like I, I was just in Ve- Las Vegas for six days, uh, half work, half uh, enjoyment. Uh, I was there for a conference, our first conference back. Uh, in person uh, that my company has been at uh, since uh, March of 2020. Wow. Super- Did your company know that we're still in a pandemic? No, we're not. We're, oh, not. Okay. we're not playing pandemic anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. 
but no, it, was, it was exciting. We had a, a huge name change, so it, it was a really big deal for us, and it was really exciting. So I was very, very busy throughout the conference. Uh, but a story from this particular trip to Vegas. I'm actually flying out as of this recording on Thursday back to Vegas for a different conference. Uh, but the after party for this conference, uh, Ludacris played. And he actually played like an hour-long set uh, for us, which is really, really cool. Like I'm a, I'm a big uh, hip-hop fan and I'm a big Ludacris fan, so he played a lot of good things from his catalog. But what was really interesting is the concert started at 9 p.m. And we went to go line up, me and a, and a buddy of mine, uh, another industry guy, and went to go line up at 8.30, and they wouldn't let us. So, no, can't line up till 8.45. And I'm like, well, that's fucking dumb, Like, but whatever. We were staying at Paris, Paris, and that's where the concert was at. There's an uh, open uh, air bar right underneath Eiffel Tower, and that's where they do the, this concert at. I'm like, all right, no problem. Like, We'll go play some table games or play some slots, whatever. And I go and I play a Wheel of Fortune slot that I've been playing throughout the week, and I was winning some money. Like my first spin, I won like 150 bucks. You know, lost some money later on in the week. And so here Thursday night, I get about a half dozen spins in, and my buddy Trey does not gamble. And so he's just sitting on his phone, just kind of watching, like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I've never like been in this environment before. And I said, I get about a half dozen spins in, and I win $700. It's like, oh, awesome, hooray cash out and do the quick math in my head. I'm like, Oh, like I'm, I'm up a couple hundred bucks. Like, l- l- let me show you something really, really cool here. Trey, again, you've never really experienced Vegas like this. This isn't really your scene. So we go over to what they call the champagne slots and the champagne slots are the high roller slots. So I was playing like $5 a spin over on, uh, the wheel of fortune machine. The one I go to in the champagne room is $50 a spin. First spin, nothing. Second spin, nothing. Third spin, boom, $1,200. Cash out. So basically, in about 10 minutes, I make about two grand. We go up, we go to the It's Ludacris. all taxable income. No, it's not. Uh, go to the Ludacris the IRS concert. Would, would dispute that. Well, they can go fuck themselves. They listen to this podcast, they can come find me. Well, they might. Uh, they, they might. You never know. You never know. Our, our FBI agents are definitely listening. Uh, or it's CIA that, that monitors everything, right? I, yeah, I think, it was, I think it was FBI that all looked like Chad's at uh, yes, a yes, yes. rally. Yes. Uh, so we go to the Ludacris concert, have fun, have a good time. And as we're leaving, Buddy of mine says, hey, like, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, I think I'm going to go hit the tables. And I'm telling you all this because this was a very interesting, like, four hours of my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go hit the tables. I'm going to go to a different casino, though, because I've been here at Paris, like, all week, and I'm kind of sick of seeing the same tables. So my wife's best friend is a dealer at the Cromwell, which is uh, just down the street uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard. So we go over there, and as soon as we hit the table, we get a couple of hands in, and the table goes ice cold. Like, legitimately, the dealer gets three blackjacks in a row, and I'm just furious. So I say, fuck it. I do the one thing you're not supposed to do, and I bet angry. I throw $200 on this hand. I do what's called an easy bust, where you can bet on the dealer busting, and I get thrown a five and a six, so I double down. Dealer ends up busting. The dealer threw me a 10, so I got 21. So I end up winning like $800 on this hand. I'm like, all right, that's it. We're done gambling for the night. It's good to, it's good to end when you're on top. Yeah, no, no, no one to fold them. So it was, uh, it was a good night. Had a, had a great time. And uh, then uh, one Dr. Jennifer Gimmel and Calvin uh, came the next day. And uh, we had a, a great weekend. We got to go to Stadium Swim at Circa and watch the, uh, the NFL games in the 98-degree water uh, while uh, enjoying some beverages. It was a good time. So. But Stone, I've talked enough about Vegas. What is going on with you? Uh, well, I didn't go anywhere quite as luxurious as Vegas. I went to Wisconsin. Oh, nice. Um, any, any mansions in Wisconsin? I uh, visited Eau Claire, uh, went up there to see hashtag remote team stone. Nice. Um, visited with my, my boy Brett and Effie and did a little training session with them at 3D Fitness up there in Eau Claire. Visited their Chippewa location, 
um, talked with them about possibly running, an, well, not possibly, but mo most likely we'll be running an APF meet um, at one of those locations in the next six, seven months. Nice. Um, this weekend, we've got the Women's Intro to Powerlifting meet. Got about 30 females signed up. Um, I'm mostly uh, female staff with the exception of probably just myself. And, uh, about you can, 30, you can identify for a day. Yeah, uh, 30 female competitors. So some good stuff going on there. Um, from there, Mr. Bain, let's head to our new segment. Yes. Our Let's Go Brandon segment. What do you got for me? Uh, hey, let's go, Brandon. Let's cancel Joe Rogan, except you fucking can't. Let's be real here. Most people who listen to this have heard, they, they know Eric and I's opinions on a lot of things that have gone on, uh, you know, around the media and around the, the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. So Joe Rogan has been getting a lot of heat over the last few months for a variety of reasons. And now suddenly people are trying trying to cancel him. It's like Neil Young says, oh, I'm going to pull my music. And then other artists say, we're going to pull our music from Spotify. That's people fine. People that I've never even literally heard of, by the way. Sure. And, and listen, like, there's plenty of great artists out there that have great music that, that I have never heard of. And so I don't necessarily discount these are incredibly talented individuals. But they're really just cutting off their nose to spite their face. Like, listen, Spotify has, has guaranteed him his money. They're not going to back down because of Neil fucking Young. Well, not just that, but, I mean, for good or for bad, I don't know that you're a huge Joe Rogan fan. I listen to him. Occasionally I do. Like maybe like once every other month if there's somebody that really catches my interest. I recently listened to his episode with Jordan Peterson, somebody I follow relatively closely. Um, so I don't listen to him on the regular. I mean, he, God, he puts out like a five-hour podcast like four yeah, times a week. Exactly. Like it's crazy. So, But uh, there are people that are super big Joe Rogan followers. Oh, yeah. Like a he, lot. And he, like he, he averages 11 million listens per episode. That's crazy. And We do not, by the way. Yeah, we do not. Um, and if Spotify, for some reason, kicked him off totally, there's a lot of people that would cancel their subscription to Spotify And there was a lot of people that would pick him up immediately. Oh, th that's what shows you that somebody's in high demand. In fact, I think I've never heard of this platform, Rumble. It's kind of like a YouTube yeah, alternative. Yeah, Rumble Video or something like that. Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. they've... They offered him $100 million as well. They supposedly offered him $100 million to come over to Rumble. So I, yeah. I don't know how valid that so is. It sounds like some Shook Knight shit. Like. Yeah, geez. Um... Yeah, yeah, so, I, so you, you, you can't cancel Joe Rogan. And listen, like, I think Dave Goggins actually put out a really great post about this that, like, listen, like, people can say whatever the fuck they want. Now, you're not necessarily free from the repercussions. It, people may not agree with the things Joe Rogan, his guests, or even things that are taken out of context or things within context of his show. You don't have to. Just don't fucking listen. I, I, I understand that people say, oh, well, he's spreading misinformation. According to what? Well, and I thought Joe Rogan had, an, had a, a very good point in one of his videos responding to this. It, it all stems from supposedly two episodes where he had yep. a couple of doctors on that are spreading, well, quote, well, misinformation. Well, now they're talking about misogyny because that didn't – the misinformation didn't work. Now it's misogyny, racism, right. you know. Sure, sure. Well, uh, yeah, it started with COVID. And COVID. as Joe Rogan pointed out, if you said a year ago that you can catch COVID after taking the vaccine, canceled. that was – that was misinformation and you were canceled from social media. If you suggested 12 months ago that the virus possibly leaked from a lab, that was no. labeled misinformation. Conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy theorist and you were banned from social media. Yes. If you said, gosh, even six months ago that cloth masks likely don't do anything for 
the COVID-19 virus, you would have been labeled misinformation and canceled off of yep. social media. By the way, Fred Clary called that about 12 plus months ago. Oh, uh, I believe it was July of 2020 that we interviewed yeah. him. Yeah. I think he By had, the way, Fred, Fred, have you gotten your apologies yet? I really hope you have. Yeah. I mean, he said quite a few things about the vaccine as well that, uh, hmm, seemed may, pretty accurate. Looking pretty accurate. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm a prophet too, but I'm saying Fred Clary knew what the fuck he was talking about. So w- today's misinformation could be tomorrow's truth. I mean, let's remember 25 years ago, eggs were super unhealthy and nobody was supposed to eat them. Yep. Too high cholesterol going to kill you. Uh, I mean, and, and if we're going to go off what the government says, how about the government's, uh, I don't know, uh, food pyramid that prioritized processed carbohydrates and said fat was the super enemy? Yes. So if you're going to believe the government on health, maybe you should reevaluate that. And just remember, just remember, every single person that is in Congress that is in office right now is bought and paid for by corporations that are pandering to all this. They don't care about you. Anyway, Stone, let's go, Brandon. Uh, You know, uh, there's there's been a lawsuit in Illinois Mm -hmm. related to mass in schools. Mm Mm-hmm. And specifically in schools, specifically in schools. Yes. And uh, a downstate judge. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Illinois, I mean, uh, 75% of, Il- of Illinois population mm-hmm. is around Chicago and suburbs. Correct. But Illinois is a large state, a large mass. And Southern Illinois does not share the same type of values that many do in, say, Cook County no. and Chicago. No. Um, they, they actually cared that more kids were shot uh, in the summer of 2021 than die from COVID. So uh, there's been a lawsuit that's been going on for a very long time, and a judge down south basically put a temporary restraining order on the governor of Illinois for mandating that all school districts oh, and private J- schools— J.B. the Hutt. Yeah. Uh, and private schools have to have masks on. And at the beginning of this school year, uh, the Joliet Catholic Diocese, which is just the local area mm-hmm. Catholic school unit, said that masks were going to be optional. Um, this goes all the way back to August, mm-hmm. and right at the last minute— uh, our all, uh, all-knowing health-conscious expert governor mandated that all schools, and basically threatened the schools, mm-hmm. um, that he would Thre- pull their certification. Their, their accreditation, which, yeah. mean, and which we mentioned this on a different episode. If you graduate from a school that is not accredited and they receive it back, does not matter. Your, your diploma is no good. Yeah. So they were all bullied into requiring masks, and now it appears that at least this temporary restraining order is trending towards like they're not going to be able to uh, uh, require mass. Um, mm-hmm. As a result of that, the Joliet Catholic Diocese canceled <laughs> elementary school basketball games for Friday night because they, quote, didn't know what to do about the lawsuit. Well, there were schools that canceled school today. And it's like... If- it, it, it wasn't ours, but I, we, we know someone who is a uh, administrator at a school that... He was at school for 40 minutes today and found out, oh, shit, I'm not even supposed to be here. I mean, that's crazy. Like, if you want to just continue, like, if, if you don't know the ramifications of the lawsuit, just say, we're requiring masks for now, and we'll evaluate this lawsuit and how it impacts Which, which is what District 207 and District 62, the two schools my children attend, that's what they said. And that's what my, that's what my kids' school said as well, and I sent it with masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but update, after I originally wrote these notes... Now we get a new email from the Catholic Diocese and the school that uh, now the Joliet Catholic Diocese are making mass recommended mm-hmm. but not required. We just have to sign a hold harmless agreement yep. 
Um, so that's, that's going to be a problem in my house. Tell you that much. The snowball is uh, it's trending in that direction, and Pandora's box has been opened. Yeah, and I, if you had to put a date on when this would all be over, any, any yeah. estimations there? Yeah, I Stone? wonder if maybe around May, maybe end of May. May is there? Any, oh, guys, anything going on then? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if anybody may have called that before. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on, Mr. Bain. We've probably talked enough about COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hot topic. Let's talk powerlifting. Yeah, let's talk. Hot oh, yeah. Topics. On, on our powerlifting podcast, let's talk about uh, that. Let's talk the hot topic of do you need specialized training to judge equipped lifts? Interesting <laughs> topic. The USPC, and gosh, we didn't even talk about this one in our alphabet soup because... I don't this, think they were around then. This this organization is literally... Like a year and a half old. ...come into existence since this... This podcast yes. is older than the USPC. In, indeed, we are. Um, the USPC is an offshoot of the USPA. Uh, it's, it's a in, long story, in, which... Interesting politics there if you read the uh, Multiply Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not worth going into in this episode. Maybe no. we could have somebody on to talk about that at some point, but... Apparently, they have now had specialized in-person and webinar uh, training seminars for judges to judge equipped lifting. And it's basically, in the past, most meet directors, most judges uh, were current or former equipped lifters. That's where most people in power, Mm -hmm. because that's all there was. Um, And now with the new wave of raw lifting over the last 10 years... You know, there are now a lot of promoters, judges, who are exclusively been raw lifters. And uh, the idea is that they may not have the experience in judging equipped lifting because they've never done it themselves. Yeah. So my take is uh, it, what it sounds like is like, hey, we're going to have special equipped judges read between the lines. We'll make sure your list pass. Please come play with us. We know we have a bad reputation. Yeah, I mean, and and the rip on an organization like the USPC, which has traditionally been mostly raw, USPA, which has become almost mm-hmm. exclusively raw, is that if you go to one of those meets as an equipped lifter, that they're not going to have the equipment suited for equipped lifting. Um, the judges aren't really aren't really going to know what they're looking at, yep. and because they're used to say, I don't know, uh, close stance knees forward raw squats Mm -hmm. if you see a wide stance sitting back squat it's going to seem it's going to appear high yeah even though it may not be high by by the the definition of the rule book it will actually be to legal depth depth. correct so i guess i'm i'm in favor of more uh education of judges i think that's a good idea I, i like the idea of a webinar um it's maybe something the aps should consider is getting the judges together on a yearly basis and, you know, putting on some education on, uh, hey, here's some things that we're seeing in meets. Hey, here's best practices. Um, I, I will say in the APF, uh, Amy Jackson has kind of taken the policy that she wants new judges to judge at meets that have equipped lifting or to judge, do their judges practical, excuse me. She'd prefer that they do it at an equipped meet because her feeling, and I would agree with it, it is definitively harder to judge equipped lifting versus raw lifting. I Absolutely. Mean, it's usually pretty cut and dry with raw lifting. I mean, there, you still have to watch squat depth, mm-hmm. but there's a lot less variables you're looking at with raw versus equipped lifting. Um, I would just say in general that why not support the organizations that truly support equipped lifting? Like um, the APF. Yeah, and, and not that it has to be exclusive to the APF, but I don't know, organizations that have in their name raw, yeah. like, I don't know that it fits to you know 
support them with their little tiny minuscule offshoot of equipped lifting just because they're but looking for more entry fees. Exactly. I was like, but it does show that equipped is continuing to grow. So I give them that. Okay. Before we move on, what the fuck is this thing that you tagged me in with these side spotter platforms? Yeah. So that's what int- the actual fuck is this? So I, I tagged you in that, Mr. Bain, and I saw that with uh, Bill Giuseppe's video who where he broke the all-time unlimited world record bench. And same thing. And uh, a guy posted a training Better video. Better leverage if something bad happens? Dude, what the fuck? So, okay, let's give you some context here, Mr. Bain. So I tagged you in a video of a guy doing a, uh, a shirted bench. I yeah. think a slanger bench. A slanger bench, And yeah. the side spotters are standing on, I would say, what was like... These are six, at least 12-inch boxes? Uh, I wouldn't say they're that high. No, I would say four to six-inch giant boxes in height. I mean, sure, the, yeah. the, the length and width might be like 18 by 18 actually, but it's like our giant plyo boxes that we have out there that are probably six inches in height. I think it's the angle. Fuck the hell is that? And the side spotters are standing on those boxes. And I said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I said, you know, I'm not saying they're wrong for doing it. Um, At the recent, I will at the recent (laughs) uh, 365 strong meet, which was a whole thing out of itself where Bill Giuseppe, he's a very strong guy, very impressive, broke the all time world record bench in a slanger shirt. Um, at 62, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean... Which is incredible. Very impressive, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, the side spotters in that meet were also standing on these giant blocks. Which I've, I've never seen in a meet before. Can, yeah, any thoughts on that, Mr. Bain, as the, you know, uh, WPO Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, so I, I can tell you this. Uh, Full Send Initiative will definitely be doing a critique on this. So I hear what people are saying in that initially the spotters are at a place where they can brace a little better. The problem is, is no one cares at the top of the lift at either beginning or at the end, how well you're able to brace. What you need to be ready for is when everything hits the fucking fan during the descent or during the ascent. Yeah. And so in this case, this does not provide you better leverage. This actually puts you at a bigger disadvantage. Yeah, you're leaning over more. Exactly. And so what are you going to do? In this case, this is 700 pounds. What the fuck are you going to do with Jimmy Kolb and his 1,400-pound slinger bench? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do when you have to bend, you know, bend over at a 35 to 45-degree angle to try to catch that? You're I, not going to do it. And then how can you do a – because in that case, anything over 800 pounds on a bench needs to have two two on the sleeve of the uh, bar and then two on the on the plates, one on each side. So you have two two per side plus a center spotter. You can't do that with these platforms. Or they're tripping over the boxes. Right. And here's what's going to happen is someone's going to slip on one of those things. And then here's what you're going to have. You're going to have a injured spotter, and you're going to have a lifter eating that fucking bar. So I hear what they're saying that, oh, at least at the on, top. Of- on the handoff, on the three-man handoff. Correct. But I would think that would even depend on your height. Like me, as someone who's kind of short, like getting up a little bit higher, that sure. might help like, you with three-man handoff. Sure. Like if, like if you're handing off for El Savior John Copian. Right. That's very high. It's a very, like, very high. Sure. But what I'm saying is, generally speaking, like these are going to put almost every spotter at a disadvantage. And that being said, I've had no problem doing three-man handoffs with people even as tall as John, John Compion. Right. If you have a, a good three-man handoff, it's equally distributed to three people, and you don't need to exert no, a bunch of force to help no. get the bar out. The, the, the center guy's doing most of the work. I, I don't know. I, I, did, I just asked the question, what's the purpose of the boxes? I wasn't saying necessarily they're wrong, but I am. I've never seen it used at any big meet that I've done before. And, I, my yeah, my initial reaction was... Don't agree. Yeah, so we'll, we'll and, and I think Pat Crawford makes a great point. It sounds fucking stupid, fall off that platform, and you've got a broken spine for the lifter. It's not wrong. And especially <laughs> when you leave have it those, to Pat Crawford to just 
keep it real. Uh, huh? you, you gotta love Pat, man. It's if, if nothing else, you get the you get the God's honest feeling from him. Yeah. And then I we get from one person easier to lift the weight instead of standing on the floor. Each side is rough. No, 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 no. So I hate to break it to you, Chris Williamson. I will I will pull this clip off of this podcast once it's posted, and I will respond in this. No, this is not correct. I appreciate what you're trying to say. You are putting your your spotters and yourself at an incredible disadvantage and in way more danger than you need to. Okay. Two hot topics of the day, Mr. Feel, Maine. I feel very strongly on that one. Uh, but, I mean, what the fuck do I know? I just spot multiply guys, not unlimited. Let's move on to the Palooza throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We've got a May 2001. With, Man, it's a big throwback. With the GOAT yes. on the cover, Mr. Ed Cohn. So when you say that, another another hot take here. When did it become a common pastime to call literally everyone the goat? Or there are a couple goats. No. If you're the greatest of all time, it's one. It's yeah. fucking one. Ed Cohn is to me is the greatest power lifter of all time. And he didn't ever even lift multiply, which is my favorite kind of lifting. Yeah. Um, I think you can make a strong argument that in the multiply world, Dave Hoff is trending in that direction. When it's all said and done, I think he's he has the probably best claim to that throne right now. Him and probably him and Gary Frank, maybe a couple others. Yeah, but as far as like overall, and you know, numbers and consistency, I would say Ed Cohen is tippy top to me. Um, and he's on the cover there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I would say Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's the goat. There's not three or four goats. No, well, you could say top three, top five. Sure, but but as, that's become like a thing, or like people just put the goat emoji. And I'm like, no, no, no. Your friend who scored 22 points in a JV basketball game is not a fucking goat. Yeah. Your raw lifter who's been lifting for three years is not the goat of raw lifting. No. No. Anyway. Uh, so what were you doing, Mr. Payne, in May 2001? Oh, my God. This is a story. So I'm finishing my freshman year of college, and I made the decision to uh, to run track in college because uh, track was a spring sport in uh, college and soccer was a fall sport. Whereas Nobody cares about soccer! Jesus, man. What the fuck's wrong with you? How long do you have? <laughs> uh, 22 seconds. So, in, but in uh, high school, soccer was a spring sport, and so I wasn't able to participate in track. So do that to kind of stay in shape, whatever. Hold on, wait a minute. What's, what's, what's uh, season with soccer? Soccer was fall in oh. college, but oh. it was spring in, in high school. Hold on. Where? Iowa. Iowa? Soccer is a spring sport? Yeah. All, really? Yeah, because we're all fucking lawn fairies. So, so like, the girls and guys at the same time. So what's in the fall? Football. So do people play soccer and football? Yep. Now that's strange, fucking it, Iowa. It was really weird. This is the same state that has taco pizza. So we do. I, we do. I, I guess, yeah, there you go. It's not, not wrong. And they, they will give you buckets of ranch. <clears throat> uh, no, I got another funny story about that in a minute. I'll... So, so yeah, so I do co- I do college track, and it was great. I had a good time. I had a very unique skill set. If they'd had the decathlon, I would have done that. But uh, I did mid distance sprinting, so that's you know twos and fours. I threw shot, threw disc, threw the weight, uh, and then I was a high jumper. We're on the way to the conference meet. You were actually jumping? Yes, yes. That, that was before I was two hundred and sixty pounds. Uh, we're on the way to the conference. Uh, me and like hey we need one more guy to open the four by eight like you're you're pretty you're in good shape from soccer you're pretty fast so you should be fine all you got to do is uh, i don't know i had like a two two minute ten second or under and we would have been fine and no one bothered fucking telling me it was an 800 meter sprint and so i go i'm i'm the rabbit in this thing so i rush out to the lead and i start to fade with like 200 meters to go and like to the point that i like threw up in my mouth 
like on the way to the finish line. I end up score. I think I ran it in like two o two, and you know we end up winning the the conference meet. But oh my god, I was toast for the rest of the fucking meet. I think my high jump was legitimately like nine or ten inches lower than it usually is. Uh, it was not a good day, and then I think my shot was probably four, five feet maybe less than normal. Uh, it's because I was just completely fucking gassed from this 800-meter sprint. Sounds awful. It was fucking awful. Stone, what were you doing? Um, I would have been a senior in high school, like probably just about to graduate. Um, yeah, so I, probably right around there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I might even been – well, I, I'm sure I was done by the end of May, uh, maybe beginning of June. Um, I took the year off for competing. Um, I was following a stupid Russian program, Damn Russians, uh, in, uh, without the regular protocols, in the, yeah, w- w- without without the extra supplementation, in the uh, oh. uh, I think that was like the summer of 2000, and injured my back and was still just kind of rehabbing it at that point. Mm-hmm. Also, around, somewhere around that time frame, I had a shoulder injury, so I had to take some time off of pressing. You know, stupid high school training things. True. Um, and so I did a couple meets in 2000, didn't do another meet until 2002, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just about to graduate from high school. Um, Hanging out with my crazy uh, high school girlfriend. My nice. advice to... I don't think... I don't know if I have any... Oh, we do have a few, at least close to high schoolers that listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. My my Team advice... Moore. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Timor always listens. We'll have to see if he hears this particular clip. Yeah, if he does, then Timor, you better come talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see us in the office yeah. uh, after, after training. Yes. Uh, my advice is always, if you have a high school significant other, always break up with them before you go off to college. And... If you are truly meant to be together, you will come back together in six months. But you should, my advice, break up with them, go off to college, because inevitably one of the two of you is going to sow some wild oats and you're going you're gonna to break up anyways. Now, in my case, I was just fucking busy with football and school and my girlfriend did not go away to school. So she's just going crazy because like I was away at school. I wasn't talking to her. I didn't even have a cell phone. So... Mm-hmm. It was just like email and talking on my dorm phone, and a little, little aim on there. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, it was not. I was seeing her like maybe every other weekend, mm-hmm. and she just couldn't handle not hanging out all the time. Yep. So that's my advice. You're smiling on that, Mister Bain. Any any ancillary advice on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, don't continue dating them for three years and then cheat on them with somebody and get that person pregnant. Oh man, more of the puzzle gets put together here, Mister Bain. Uh, good advice for me that could have been given to a young Bane, although I didn't have that advice at that time. No, I, I was having fun. That's what it is. Uh, what was going on in the world, though, in May 2001? So many things. Uh, George W. Bush passed his tax yeah, yeah. cuts. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that disabled golfer Casey Martin could use a cart in tournaments. Was did, he, a, did he ever win a tournament? I don't think he did, and I don't believe he's still golfing but i remember this being a huge issue yeah like in the early 2000s really I, up in arms about i this. can't remember his disability what was it he uh, had it was some type of like pulmonary disease where like the blood flow like it was an issue for him to like be able to walk that long yeah and, and the argument was that you know it was gonna be an advantage somehow right and that advantage. you know if you can't withstand the physical demands of the sport then why should we play in that sport like you know that'd be like saying well i can't run down the basketball court so you know can i use a, a segue to get from one end of the court to the other we could stand on the basket and, and play four man defense sure and it's not exactly the same but um, yeah no i i hear what you're saying it's surprising that it went all the way to the u.s supreme court yeah wild um hanoi jane fonda and Jeez. ted turner got divorced in may 2001 yikes and the following, now, I, these weren't necessarily the top movies, although at least a couple of them were very 
highly grossing movies, but movies that came out mm-hmm. in May 2001, Shrek. Donkey! The Mummy Returns featuring The Rock. Nice, as the Scorpion King. And Pearl Harbor. Nice. So those are some notable movies from May 2001. You uh, had a story about ranch. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's go back to my trip to Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, so after training, as one does, we went out to Mexican, which was actually was a... Not, sto- not Mexico. Yeah. Mexican, a Mexican restaurant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that was actually like a very like common thing for Team Stone, even going back to Marocher. It would be like Mexican. I think that's the with Marocher. Oh, like, absolutely. It was like Mexican after training. And Jack and I did that even when we went to Franz. There was actually an awesome Mexican restaurant, Kitty Corner from Franz Gym. Still very good. Like while you're telling the story, I'm going to pull up the this food I had when I was in uh, in Vegas. But go ahead. Uh, so we go to a Mexican restaurant in Eau Claire, or maybe it was Chippewa, one of those Wisconsin mm-hmm. towns. Don't you know? Don't you know? Eh? Ope. Um, and we sit down, and it's the normal like you know a couple bowls of salsa and chips, and then one of them is whitish colored, and Jack and I think, oh, they put out queso in addition to Huzzah. salsa. Like, Huzzah. Cool, because we're in Wisconsin, so of course they're going to give out cheese. And then Jack could take his bites of it, and no, it was ranch. Jesus, this is a bucket of fucking ranch. It, and it wasn't even like a ranch dip. It was like, like you know, what's that uh, brand called? Like Hidden Island? Uh, uh, Hidden Valley. Hidden Valley. It was like Hidden Valley, like squirted into a salsa Jesus. bowl. Jesus. Uh, so what is this that you ate, this Mr. Bain here? fucking burrito. Oh, my God. It was incredible. I think it was like two pounds. It was just meat, refried beans, and fucking cheese. So did they have any ranch there? Uh, no, but we did have white queso. Perfect. Uh, let's move on, Mr. Bain, to yeah. our uh, Plusa throwback. throwback. Uh, we've got Ed Cohn on the cover, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. and the caption is, Cohn goes WPO. As he should go. Uh, not for very long, though. No. Uh, Ed had an interview with Marty Gallagher. Um, at the time, this was May 2001, Ed said he was training for the Mountaineer Cup, USPF, mm-hmm. run by Nick Bully Busick, former WWF wrestler, and later the WPO. Um, he actually was planning on doing two different WPO meets, the mm-hmm. semifinals and finals. At this time, Ed had the goal of hitting a 2,500-pound total. Ed, at the time, he said, and in the interview, he talked about his training, um, some interesting thing about his training. At the time, he said he only wore his suit <coughs> the last fa- four workouts before a meet. That's crazy. Um, he said he used to do, really do, like, uh, big rep sets. And he said he used to do big five rep records. And he said he does, he no longer did this. I think Ed was mid-30s at this time, maybe mm-hmm. 35, 36. Um, he said in the old days, he'd done 900 times five on the squat. Jesus. Uh, at this time, he was following a four-day program, including a squat, bench, deadlift, and shoulder day um, split up. Hmm. Um, he said he used to train five, but at this time, he had dialed it down to four days a week. Um, and at this time in 2001, Ed said he could really no longer pull sumo due to tearing his right hamstring adductor in 1994. Mm. Um, and if you notice, later in Ed's career, he mostly pulled conventional. But his best deadlifts were almost always sumo. I mean, yeah, his, 903 his or whatever it was. 903 at 198 or 220 was, was a sumo pull. Mm-hmm. Um, at the 2001 Mountaineer Cup, which happened in June 24th, 2001, about a month after this issue, he did a 975 squat, a 576 bench, and a 711 deadlift. Good enough for a 2254 total. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later, actually six weeks later, at the WPO semifinals, which we'll talk more about in a minute, um, August 12, 2001, he did 1,038 squat, 
578 bench, 771 deadlift, good enough for a 2388-pound total at 237. Wow. And the article mentioned coming back to the WPO finals in November, at least according to Open Powerlifting, he did not do that meet. Um, The uh, August semifinals, at least according to what I saw, was his only WPO meet he did. Hmm. Um, It actually lists that 1,038 squat as his best single-ply squat, even though the WPO obviously then and now is multi-ply. Um, I thought I remembered reading that he wore a double-ply – like, he didn't go canvas, but I thought I remember reading that he went to a, a double-ply hardcore suit, which was mm. Inzer's top poly suit at the time. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he wore a single-ply suit. If we ever talked to Ed, that would be an interesting question. Yeah. Um, and that was a, that was his top squat at that WPO meet. That was actually his top bench as well, 578. Um, obviously not his top deadlift, which is where probably his total took a hit. Yeah. Uh, I thought, uh, yeah, again, I thought Ed wore some double-ply gear, although he never wore he never wore gangster gear. No. Um, and it would be just about a year later that Ed would blow out his knee at the next year's, the 2002 Mountaineer Cup. Um, he would continue to compete a little bit after that, you know, for but his elite career was essentially done at that point. Four or five years, but at this time he was pretty close to his peak. Um, he did his best total was a twenty four sixty three at two forty two in nineteen ninety eight. You know, throughout the late nineties, early two thousands, he was still in that twenty three twenty four range. Mm-hmm. But after blowing at his knee at the Mountaineer Cup, yeah, his elite career was done essentially. And, and the thing that that really kind of blows my mind is like you hear that number, it's like okay, like. There, there are a good amount of people that have 22, 23, 2400-pound totals today. He was doing this when not even the super heavyweights were. Like, I mean, he, he did at one time have the, have the biggest total of all time, correct? Almost positive he did it for uh, a short time. It's very plausible that, 20, that 24 was the top total I, when it, he did I, it. I almost positive it was for a short time, and I think. And he did it at 242. Yeah, that's the thing is that that is one of the things when we talk about Ed Cohen being the GOAT, for those who don't know who he is or really haven't dug into the history, is that. Ed was doing this stuff, in many cases, 100-plus pounds lighter well, than everybody else that was hitting these huge numbers. Not to mention that he did it for a 15-plus year oh, period. Yeah. I mean, he was competing back at the you know Hawaii record breakers in the mid-'80s. I mean, and not to mention that, but he set records in the 181s, the 198s, the 220s, yep. the 242s. I mean— And he, and he, was, beating, and he was beating the world's elite, in some cases, by two or 300 pounds. Right. right. He, he was beating the super heavyweights at 222, yeah, Exactly. So um, just to, to, you know, add some context. Exactly. Definitely. Um, Mr. Kieran Kidder. Hey, um, which you, can go, you can go back and listen to an interview with him. Very interesting. Um, he had a WPO News full page article that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is a May issue. At this time, the WPO semifinals were changed from July 21st to August 12th. Mm. So literally like six weeks out from the meet, Yikes. the meet was moved back a month. Um, and apparently the meet was originally going to take place at Universal Studios. I'm guessing maybe in one of their like little actual studios, like yeah. where they used to do the WCW wow. tapings. Yeah. Um, everyone would have had either had to bought a ticket to, uh, to go inside Universal or everyone was going to have to park and go through the back entrance of Universal and Yikes. then go through a security checkpoint. Yikes. So he opted to move the meet to August to the Hard Rock Live Studio, which was on the Universal CityWalk. Mm-hmm. Which was a twenty-eight person arena. Twenty-eight hundred person. I'm sorry. What did I say? Twenty-eight. Oh, twenty-eight hundred yeah. person arena. Excuse me. Twenty-eight screaming fans. Yeah, that sounds like a local powerlifting meet. Pretty much. <laughs> um, he talks about how he needed to move the meet to the evening to be more like other sports, which uh, I, I think there's probably some utility in. Yeah. Um, 
at least there's a good thought process and a good discussion to have. He says that this semifinals will have $160,000 in prize money. Wow. Um, first through third in each class uh, is going to get prize in each individual 10 weight classes and then also in the super open weight classes. So I'm not exactly sure how all this broken down. It wasn't super clear in kind of typical Karen fashion. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like stream of consciousness. But from in, what I read, it was a little muddy. Yeah, it was a thousand for third place in the traditional weight classes, men only, five thousand for second, ten thousand for first, and the super open weight class winners would be getting a minimum of twenty five thousand. Now I'm not sure I'm guessing that meant that they would get first place in their regular weight class and then an additional fifteen thousand for winning the super open weight class, which um there's a little bit of information on that later in the issue, which we can go through. Um so Pretty interesting stuff. I mean, can you imagine the outcry on social media if, you know, Wayne moved a meet from July to August a month out? Dude, that would be – it would go crazy. Yeah, there, there would be a lot of screaming and yelling. I mean, there's people yelling just because, like, we had the meet on a Monday. Yeah. And we kept it on a Monday through the pandemic, and people complained about that. Yeah. Um, what do you get to do? Dr. Larry Maley and crew from the USAPL traveled to – Russian nationals, Russian nationals in St. Petersburg, Russia, May or excuse me, March first to the fourth, <laughs> two thousand one. It sounded like they were kind of treated like guests of honor. Six lifters, seven coach and spectators. I have to wonder if uh, uh, oh, uh, Henry Thomason was part of that group. I don't know. I mean, Larry Maley's daughter was in a picture sitting on kind of like the lap of a Russian guy, and and the issue, which kind of weird, but. Uh, you know, I I didn't dive super deep. I mean, it was just kind of a breakdown of the meat itself, but yeah. I just thought interesting little tidbit there. Dr. Larry Maley and crew from the USAPL. Yeah. Um, Rob Fusner's training program by Louis Simmons. Of what's that, Barbara? Uh, and Rob Fusner totaled elite in his first meet and benched 570 at 242 Jesus. in his first meet. Jesus. And so how did he train? And I, I read this probably three times. Louis probably goes on for about three paragraphs on these pendulum waves, but doesn't even say what it's referring to. I'm just going to assume it's box squatting, but he never really says it. Um, So he used uh, pendulum waves for his training. The first wave is strength speed, which has a lot of accommodating resistance. The second wave is speed strength, which is less accommodating resistance and bar weight. And the third wave is circa max, which is Four weeks, three weeks with ascending weight, and then the fourth week, you taper down. I think the uh, either the weight or accommodating resistance. I can't remember. And then there's a two week deload. We so, don't deload. So this is where we get the six week circumflex. <laughs> is right from an article like this, Jesus. even though they never deload. But it specifically says in this article the words deload are in there. Replacement effort method. I'm guessing that Louis was the first one to use the word deload, and then Jim Wendler co-opted it for 531. Um, so yeah, I'm assuming that's that all those waves are for box squatting. Um, he talks about how Rob used uh, bands and chains alternating every three, four weeks um, for be- speed bench and, you know, rotates max effort exercises. Um, one interesting one is that he said that Rob always did chains for his last two weeks of speed work mm-hmm. um, to relieve the extra soreness from the, quote, overspeed eccentrics from using bands. And I, I have noted that 
bands can beat you up. They can beat your elbows up on speed bench, and that's why generally I do the same. Is I, mm-hmm. I try to alternate chains and bands on speed bench for you know two, three week, four week mini cycles. Right. Um, J.M. Bakley had a great article, which really didn't say a whole lot, but it's just classic J.M. Bakley. Uh, there's a picture of him, which maybe I'll crop out and post with him just sitting there with a box of pizza, a box of Pop-Tarts, a Gatorade container, chips, and a soda pop. Do you say soda or pop, Mr. Bain? Uh, kind of interchangeably. Uh, usually soda. Oh, okay. I'm usually pop. So yeah. soda pop. Um, and J.M. Bakley's the article is, why can't I gain weight? And he said, if you gain weight, you'll get stronger. Sure. We'll go with that. Uh, he says, basically, if you want to gain weight, you need to eat more. True. And you just got to want it. And it will be hard to gain weight, but you got to want it. I mean, I don't think it's very hard to gain weight. I mean, you've posted the theory that if you hang out with me long enough, you'll I don't think weight Now, I, here, I think it's not hard to gain weight to a certain point. If you tried to get up to 300, which J.M. Bakley was trying to do at this time, I think it would be challenging for you to force feed yourself up to 300. I, once I hit about 285-ish, I, I think I would start to be... Yeah, and, and I think that's what JM is talking about is yeah. this was kind of in the era when Louie was pushing everybody just like he'd Let's see your frame here. and say, like, you need to be at least a 308er to fill out your frame. Yeah. And he'd see me and be like, you need to be a 220er or a 242er. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Ed Cohn's about my height and he was 220, 242. Um, it's a thick dude. Yes, uh, almost as thick as he is wide. Yeah, um, So this was that era where everybody was just gaining weight. Um, and so that's, uh, fat, fat, happy power. That's the, that's the jam Bakley method. Um, I think there's some articles or some videos where he talks about like, you know, if you don't hate yourself, you're not eating enough. Yeah. The the meal is never over when you're full. It's over when you hate yourself and, you know, take a bottle of olive oil and pour it on your pizza. Jesus. Some crazy stuff like that. Maybe I'll pull that out for a future episode. I mean, I did, I did during my, like my big bulking phase in my freshman year of college when I went, when I gained like 60 pounds in nine months. I force fed myself quite a bit. I mean, I was legitimately eating almost 10,000 calories a day for nine months straight. Mm-hmm. That was rough. There is a press release on the USAPL lifters participating in the seventh annual World Games in mm. August 2001 in Japan. And this was the first time. And it's interesting because it seems as they've always talked about how, like, this is basically the off year Olympics. But at least the way I read it, and there was like a press release and there was you know, laying out the format, the International World Games Association, it appears is a different organization than the IOC. It's associated with the IOC. Mm -hmm. They cooperate with the IOC, but I think they're a different organization. And they essentially are like, like, I think it's the next year, maybe two years after. No, I think it's the next year. I think so. If the Olympics happens one year, I think the World Games happen the next year. That would make sense because remember the 2000 Olympics and there's 2004 Olympics. I think. Don't quote me. Sounds about right, but yeah. So it's definitely the off years because we're talking 2001, and the Olympics are definitely. All all I know is the World Games are going to be somewhere in Alabama this year. Interesting. Yep. Um, There was a whole another page on the WPO qualifying totals and super open weight classes, and at this time, the super open weight classes lightweight went up to 165, middleweight went up to 198, and heavyweight was above that. I know he would tweak that. He would add another super open weight class, and I think it was uh, maybe up to 181 or 165 still, and then up to maybe 220, 242 was middleweight. Heavyweight was up to maybe 275, and then he had a, a super heavyweight category. Uh, don't quote me on that. It might have evolved a little bit, but at this time, those were the three super open weight classes. 
Um, here's the qualifying totals. Um, and it said all totals must have been made at one of the major lifting federation world or national event in the last five years. 132, 1159, 148-1352, 165-1452, 185-1456. Those are just the qualifying totals, to be fair. Like, and those I think might have been the old elite totals because that eh, that seems that seems about right. Yeah, yeah, that, that are, or maybe somewhere around that that uh, that area. I mean, those are just the qualifying totals. To be mm. fair, that's not that would not have won you at the WPO. No, no, but I mean, uh, I mean. Uh, yeah, you're in to the 2000 WPO semifinals Sick. finals. Um, there is a jump stretch ink band advertisement and for those of you that are curious where louis came up with these colors he did use originally the jump stretch bands and at this time many bands were pink green or blue um i think louis referred to them as pinks originally and those were half inch wide he definitely talks about purple bands which are light bands and those are one and eighth inch wide Mm -hmm. average bands were green one and three quarters inch wide and strong were blue, which were two and a half inches wide. You definitely hear Louis in the old or read Louis in the old articles talking about purple, green, blues, mm-hmm. pinks. I think eventually greens became monster minis, which was not at this time. They, they added those later, mm-hmm. um, I think, at the behest of Louis, to be honest with you. And, and then finally, our top 100, 275 U.S. Yeah. lifters, March 2000 to February 2001. Top of the squat, unsurprisingly, Ed Cohn, 964. Bill Nichols, 953. Uh, D. Bailey, 950. Steve Goggins, number four, 925. Uh, Noel Avario, a Franz guy up there with a number seven, 865. Um, I believe our guy Henry Thomason down at number 12 with 843. Nice. I mean, that shows you how long he's been... Competing a very competing a long time. Um, top of the bench rest was Bill Crawford of Metal Militia, 750. John Zemin, Detroit guy, 705. Uh, Jay Toronto, number three, 700. Tiny Meeker, uh, 656. J.M. Blakely, 650, number five. Ed Cohn, top of the deadlift with 865. Uh, M. Mills, number two, 815. B. McGeddon, I'm not familiar with him and hard to read his name, 810. P. Andrews with 810, number four. Steve Goggins rounding out the top five with 804. Um, Bill Nichols, again, Franz Guy, 771, down at number seven. Looking in the total, Ed Cohn, unsurprisingly, number one, 2402. Um, and, and bear in mind, Ed Cohn probably did his best lifting in 220, 242, so he obviously did at least one meet here at two at 275 mm-hmm. uh s smith number two with uh i think that's scott smith uh twenty two thirty seven. so that's a big difference between him and ed i mean uh, almost 150 i think more than 150 pounds that, there that's just how cone got down steve goggins twenty two thirty one, and he would have been a light 275 yeah absolutely bill nichols twenty two oh four, and m mills running out the top five with 21 30 uh, i'm trying to see if there's anybody else that we really would know Hmm, I'm sure if I looked real deep in there, I would. But interesting, uh, the top 
100 from this era. So, Mr. Bain, let's move on yeah. to our discussion of the day. Yes. Um, let, let's start with let's start with your your poll, and I think the poll was uh, prompted by you had this conversation with Sean Deal. I did. Who is a Christian missionary in Africa? Correct. Yep. He's over in Uganda. Correct. And he'll he'll get into a little bit of his background uh, and kind of how he came to be over there. But uh, he's a listener of the show. And, uh, you know, we had this conversation, and it honestly it was great. We, we got to have some banter. It was a super fun to be able to, to again, uh, have this conversation halfway around the world because technology is so dope. Yeah, no doubt. So why don't we go ahead and cut to that, mm-hmm. and then we'll come back, and we will slide, jump, my, slide my DMs. We'll jump into Bane's DMs. What's up, man? What is up? Hey, there he is. You can hear me. You can see me. I can. Oh man, so much better than the IG Live. Well, I also found out. I just we got an email today from like the internet provider mm-hmm. that they had like nationwide like server issue that was causing issues the last couple of days. So, so that of course it had to be the, the the one day that we wanted to wanted to connect. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I just wanted to sit and watch Curve Your Enthusiasm. It was like taking forever to load. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, but, crazy man. So how how long have you been over there now? It's been six months. So yeah, so we've been in Africa six months. We went to yeah. Zanzibar because Uganda was on lockdown, mm-hmm. and so we've been in Uganda now for just over three months. Okay, and you've got what two and a half years left or something like that? Yeah, two and a half years left. Gotcha, gotcha. See, so yeah, I pay attention every now and then. Well, that's cool, man. Well, well, hey, I, I appreciate you taking some time. Uh, well, this morning in my case, this afternoon in yours, because there's a nine-hour time difference uh, between us. Uh, well, Sean, do this. Go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Uh, you know, a little background, and then we can kind of get into what uh, what has us talk about this uh, this hot topic today. Uh, my name is Sean Deal, and my wife and I are missionaries in Uganda, East Africa. We've been here for about three months. We've been in Africa for six months. Before that, I I was a teacher and a coach right out of college. Then I was in the army for uh, eleven years or eight years. Sorry, eight years. Then I went to seminary with my GI Bill. My wife and I pastored out in California for a while. And in 2018, and I I done powerlifting when I was in college and like right out of college, and got sick of being super fat. So I went and had like an eating disorder for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I got super skinny and rode a bicycle a lot. And in 2018, I just had this like sudden bug. Ever since I got out of the army in 2011, I just got bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. No matter where, like, I tried being vegan even for like two years. Ugh. And uh, yeah, it was horrible. And when I started gaining weight again, I was like, if I'm going to gain weight, I'm going to eat meat again. So yeah, it was December of 2018. I was just like, I think I'm just supposed to be big. And if I'm going to be this big, I'm going to try to get strong again. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do at that time was bench press 300 pounds again. That's all. And, and ah, there was well, a meet come a long way. <laughs> that October, October 2019 at the gym that I was going to join, Royal Barbell there in Springfield, Missouri. Great gym. And, uh, and I was just like, you know what? When I was, when I was like 20, 25, my last meet, or 24, something like that, I did 355 in a single mm-hmm. ply shirt. I was like, I just want to beat that. And so I, I got 365 in that meet. And I was like, sweet. But then I was like, you know what? I'd really like to get 400 pounds. And then I was like, 
as, as like, it always tends to be. Started going, and then I was like, and then and then I was like, yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to go down to Georgia and train with Tony Carlino mm-hmm. and learn how to band shirt. And so then I was just like, I, I had like this double ply bench daddy that this guy had sold me for super cheap. And I was like, dude, this is cool. Mm-hmm. And and then I did a, I kept on thinking I was going to be going to Uganda, but we kept on having like issues. So I'd be like, let me just do this meet right before we go. And mm-hmm. like it kept on. And then, and my numbers just kept going up. And then John Elick from Dark Side Iron, where I was like, dude, I got to get you on one of my shirts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. The next thing I know, I'm putting like over 600 pounds up. And I'm like, what in the world? And the guy lifted off for who lifted off for me, Dalton. His deadlift went up like from 450 to 530 in like eight months. It was awesome. He loved it. Nice. So, just just from the lift off, sort of truly helped. <laughs> not from any of his own training at all. It was all I get all the credit. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, so we we were chatting. Uh, so we got connected because of the Strength and Anger podcast, and and the audio on this, uh, the plan is to put that on uh, on the next episode because we have an episode coming up around the transition from raw to equipped. Uh, and the reason we want to do that is because I personally have made that jump from uh, raw raw naked knee to equipped. We're going to be doing a dual interview. Uh, Eric is going to interview myself and uh, and Bob Merck uh, because Bob has also made that jump uh, during his career and. Uh, Bob contributed a lot to the book Gear. Uh, for those who have not read that by Dave Kirchin, uh and friends, I should say, because there's quite a few of us that contributed to that. So you had posted, I think it was a meme or it was just an Instagram story about the yeah. reverse question that most raw guys ask. That is, you know, hey, if you lift equipped, how much could you do raw? Well, the flip side of that is, of course, well, if you're raw, how much could you lift equipped? And you got some interesting feedback. You want to give us a, a kind of walk through that feedback you got and you understand like you know being a man of faith being a minister being a missionary like there there comes to like people like to use my christianity sometimes mm-hmm. and saying like as a christian should you be writing something so divisive and you know like as a minister like shouldn't you be spreading peace and all that you know and unity and i'm like you know at I just thought I was just joking around. Like I grew up wanting to be a comedian and a pro mm-hmm. wrestler. And so like, I still kind of want to be a pro wrestler and a comedian. So that like comes out, like I cut promos and do comedy routines. And, and so like that Instagram is kind of an outlet for me with some of my humor. Mm-hmm. And I, I did, you know, I'm not like talking about the government. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about, you know, the, the certain variant that's going around and, or this sorry sorry you know so i don't so that's the stuff that i think is a lot more divisive and a lot more like controversial than raw versus equipped like sure it's not that it's in in the grand scheme of things it's not that important to be stressed out of absolutely because i mean at the end of the day this is a hobby right like we we pay to do this And however, what I think was interesting and, and, you know, you and I chatted on, on the DMS and on the gram and, you know, my opinion on this, it it became stronger and stronger as I thought about it is because people are so married to their style of lifting and, and it does tend to be raw guys are so married to that style is that is the only way to do things. Uh, And part of that is the youth that typically uh, populates the raw, uh, side of the sport 
they only see one way. They never see any other possible way. And in my view, it was no, this isn't a divisive question. This actually is a unifying question because it begins to plant the seed, in my view, uh, for lifters who have never lifted equipped or maybe had a bad experience with it. Well, what if you actually did take this all the way? Uh, speaking as, as, you know, you said as a man of faith, one of the things that you try to do is you're not going to necessarily try to ram the Bible down someone's throat right away. That typically doesn't work, uh, at least from my experience. <laughs> but beginning to show folks that the the concept of the message of faith and the concept of the message of, and I'm in no way comparing a bench shirt to our Lord and Savior. I'm just simply trying to, to show a few comparisons and, and show why this is not divisive. It's it's a it's a stair step, but I remember distinctly uh, myself also being a, a man of faith that it was not this sudden turnaround. It was it was a whole process. It was seeds that were planted, and the same thing I can just I can remember standing in a Monster Garage gym in Waukegan, Illinois, and watching guys lifting equipped, and, I, and my response was like, "Wow, that is that is crazy," you know, that has to take a lot of work to get to that point. And I was asked, "Well, what do you think you could do equipped?" Because again, I'm a raw, raw, raw uh, lifter. So you were really good raw too. Like, and and don't get a twist. Yeah, like I, I've I've been able to work on that. I had great people around me, and and that helps me become a, uh, a pretty good raw lifter. And that translated over very well to to being equipped. There are quite a few good raw lifters today that would take a lot more surgery on their technique to do that yeah. and i think that that's that's a challenge but the response so so i put a, an instagram poll this is what was the second impetus of this conversation i put an instagram poll up yesterday uh asking basically is, is this a divisive question but also i added is it unreasonable to ask so i think that's really one of the the ultimate questions is like okay like sure you can always be snarky like well yeah what could you do either way but is this a reasonable question to be asking people? And the responses I got were incredible. Uh, doing the quick stats on my Instagram profile, uh, you know, I reposted the the results. But the uh, DM responses, I got over a hundred DMs yesterday, like individuals giving yeah. me extended responses. Like I could legitimately do an entire show just reading these responses. And the majority started to air towards what we're talking about that. These folks, uh, they don't know what they don't know. But then also there were so folks, especially equipped, that were very passionate, that absolutely not like this. You could never ask them that because these people are too ignorant. And it really was that uh, closed-mindedness even of the equipped lifters, which was really interesting to me. And so to me, this is a question of now education for both sides. And this is, to me, a very unifying versus divisive question. Kind of throw up a lot of words there, but I'd, I'd like to know, you know, if you're thinking about this from uh, a perspective of somebody who does try to bring folks together and does try to, um, you know, find that middle ground. Obviously, yeah, you were having fun with the question, but when you really deep down think about it, like what what are your thoughts on that? And then what are your thoughts based on seeing the results of the poll this morning? Yeah, I mean, I was I was I was not surprised at the poll results. Mm. I really was. I could. I felt more people would like kind of lean towards like, yeah, it's not, it's not that big. But, and I think it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the individuality of the U S and the culture there. Cause like here, it's been amazing for me. Like when they ask me how much I bench press and I'll tell them, you know, in, in my last meet right before I came, I did 292.5 kilos, 645 pounds. They don't ask, was it in a shirt? They don't ask was single ply multiple. 
they were like, they just go, dude, that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. Dope. Yep. That's dope. You know, today, today, like I, I, I did a 230 kilogram, a 230 kg reverse band to a two board. Most I've had in my hands since we moved to Africa because it's been kind of crazy here. And they don't care that it was to a reverse band. They don't care that it was to, they just go, they've never seen anybody lift that. So that to them, mm-hmm. it's just like, cool. And it's like that, and I forget sometimes that it's a big, that people have all these like quantifying things. I remember mm-hmm. one day, it was the first time I put 650 in my hands training back in the States at Royal Barbell. So I'm excited, dude. I just did 650 to a two board and never had that in my hands. And and I'm like walking back to my bag and this dude goes, well, what do you think you can do raw? And I'm like, I got 135. Like, I, I'm like, right. what does it matter, dude? I just lifted 650 pounds off, off my chest. Like, yeah. and I like quit, like it exploded off my chest. Like that's kind of a cool thing. Like just, that's, that was fun, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I, I can tell you the first time I threw a shirt on. So, so some folks have heard the story. This was a few years ago where I got a text message. I'm, I'm literally standing in the shower, my phone dings. And while this is the music and it was uh, Steve Brock. Uh, I don't know if you know Steve, but you know, huge lifter in general. I mean, 1100 pound squatter, 800 pound bencher. And Steve was coming back from an injury. He actually snapped his humerus. And he got in the repairs, was coming back, and he got a new bench shirt. And he said, hey, like, what do you weigh right now? And told him, and he's like, okay, cool. We're putting a shirt on you on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> because I was going to stretch his shirt out for him. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I've been chasing a 400-pound bench for, for a few years. And I was like, cool, awesome. Well, then we go, you know, up to three plates. And he's like, cool, uh, now we're going to throw the shirt on you. So four plates, we take it to a two board, four and a half plates, take it to a one board. And I throw 500 pounds in my hands and I take it to a half board, my very first time with the shirt. And, you know, it's a looser shirt, you know, not, not necessarily anything that was all gangstered out, but I remember that as another one of those seed planning type moments where it's, and this is where I think a lot of raw lifters miss it is they simply just haven't had that experience. And, and I get it where they talk about, oh, it, it does all the work because they've heard that from other people, right? But when you have that experience of the pressure and that you feel that weight sink you into the bench, like that is very unique to what you're ever going to feel, even as a raw lifter. I don't care. Like, I take nothing away from a Julius Maddox, a Thomas Davis, or even like a, a John Heck with, you know, a, a, an immense bench press. But there is something different about as you begin to break that shirt, uh, especially a multi pleasure. And it's even different, I can assume, in an unlimited shirt where. It's just, it's, everything is, it loads different. Everything is different about that. And very, man. yeah. And so that, that's one of the things where it just, rest, one of the, it's like, it's not, one of the responses that we got, uh, was it, very simply, I see what it takes because this person trains with, with around a lot of equip lifters. And she was very upfront. I was like, I just don't want to take the time to learn it. I'm like, that's the most honest yeah. answer any raw person could ever give. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to take the time to learn it. And that's not bad. That's says, hey, like, that's not my preference. And as a really, so whole, you know, point of all this, and like I said, we're not, we're not going to go on and on and on, but I, I really wanted to uh, get your take on this. And, and I'm interested to hear, too, like, uh, what the response, like, how that interaction with that individual, you know, finished out. 
uh, that, you know, claim this may have been a divisive thing. But ultimately what I've always preached or what we've wanted to do to the strength and anger is like, listen, we want game to recognize game. Whether you're raw, single ply, which is BS, uh, multiply, unlimited. And, and I get it. Like Eric doesn't even like the unlimited shirts. Totally cool. Yeah. Uh, and I'm fine with that. And a lot of people have their, their issues with them. They're like, listen, if it pushes people to get under a barbell, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. So, yeah. so just to, to wrap up, I would love to hear what, what was the final or, or how is, how things progressed with that individual that, you know, claimed this was n- not in good taste or, or was a divisive comment? Well, I just try to explain and it's hard to do like, you know, the guy doesn't really know me. We haven't, we don't have like, a, it's a, an acquaintance. So it's not like mm-hmm. he knows me all well. He doesn't know what my like and, and everything. And I try to explain, I'm like, Hey, I was just being humorous. I'm not like, it wasn't meant to be taken seriously. And I don't feel like it's being divisive. Yeah. And, and uh, like he didn't accept that. He, and so that's, that's on him. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, it yeah like i know intentions i i know because the, i never wake up i you know if you if you don't want to put this on the podcast that's fine but that's fine i wake up every day and all i have as a goal is to love god more than i did the day before and to love people better than i did the day before that's all that's all i care about and so everything i did like i never go out of my way to go you know what i want to hurt somebody today so yeah. like when i'm wrong that i'm not trying to hurt i'm trying to bring somebody a laugh mm-hmm. and and trying to make people laugh and a lot of people did laugh and like when you know i i don't know if you saw like i i i'm inspired by scott middleson mm-hmm. like i want to be in my 50s doing the stuff that he does and and like but there's like some stuff like I also wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And so like some of the stuff he does, like I did some spoof videos inspired by him. And <laughs> Tony wrote me, he's like, dude, are you hating on Mindy? And I was like, Tony, I just always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And like, I'm just doing some humorous imitation. I think Mindy's amazing. And I would love to meet him one day. Like, it's he's, like he, he's a trip, man. I'll tell you that he is a trip. Huh? And so, so like, I got nothing against Mindy at all, mm-hmm. but like, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, man, I respect you. I love you. But man, if I had the opportunity to put on some blue elbow sleeves and like my arm like this and stuff like that on an Instagram video, I would do it in a heartbeat and you would laugh and a ton of other people would laugh, but I ain't shaving my head for you or nobody. Hey, I, I appreciate that, man. I mean, you, you got the hair, though. Like, I, I just don't have that hair a lot. I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, well, Sean, I appreciate it, man. Like I said, uh, it's, uh, I, I know it's in the afternoon there. And uh, how, how can people get a hold of you? And um, if, if you have you know, one message for everybody, you mentioned, you know, you, all you want to do is you want to connect with people. You want to connect people to God um, and, and bring people to an understanding of kind of who they are and who, whose they are. Um, you know, how else can people get a hold of you right now and, and anything else you want to share? Sure. Sure. Like my Instagram is Sean Deal, Jitukuba. Jitukuba means the big giant. That's the nickname they gave me in Zanzibar because I was the biggest man that they've ever seen. I love it. And so I, I, I fell in love with that name. Um, yeah, if I could give everybody a message, 
and uh, especially in the powerlifting world, it would it would be this like in the grand scheme of things, powerlifting is not all that important. None of us are going to get rich doing it. You know, none of us are going to like you know change the world doing it. But the way we can change the world is loving every single person that you come in contact with no matter that their background no matter their politics no matter if they're raw or equipped no matter what we just got to love each other and embrace each other and if we do that we will change powerlifting and we'll change the world i love it i love it man awesome everybody i appreciate it thank you so much and uh like I said, uh, plan is to take the audio from this and, and we'll add it into the uh, the episode. Uh, though, if we're not able to do that, then I'll take the video and I can I add this on to, uh, to the IG because uh, I think it's an important message. And if nothing else, it's kind of fun uh, because he yeah, has a good and, time. So When you talked to Bob Merck about his transition from Rod to a good, tell him, I think he's awesome. And I mm-hmm. love how you saved him out of the WPLS. <laughs> so, he's a great follow on Instagram. Yeah, Bob is, uh, you know, I'll say this about Bob, and, and I've said this to him, and I said this on the podcast, Bob's one of my best friends, uh, you know, in powerlifting and, and just in general, uh, he's been nothing but good to me, and he's been one of those that has been immensely helpful in, in this transition uh, that I've made, so uh, he's he's a real one, he's a good one, he's uh, he's one of the people to uh, to aspire to, that's, that's no doubt. And we, we probably said transition in this little interview more than they'd say on CNN. Not wrong. <laughs> All right, man. Be good. All right, Mr. Bain. So there was your conversation with Sean Deal. Yeah, I'm, Sean, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, definitely uh, great to, to chat with you. I'm sure it won't be the last time, but definitely appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your afternoon and out of your schedule to uh, to chat. Yeah, it brings up an interesting topic and one that then you posted in your story. I did. And from there, you definitely got a lot of replies. I got a lot of uh, engagement, if you will. So Sean had posted that a raw lifter had messaged him about asking raw lifters what they could do equipped and that it was divisive and as a Christian, he shouldn't be posting stuff like that. And I thought it was a very interesting question because one, I think it's one of those that in the back of our head, most equipped lifters at least want to say to a raw guy, well, yeah, well, what do you think you could do equipped? And most of us know that they have no desire to, they don't understand it. But he had actually posed the question that, is it divisive? Is it something that is wrong? Should it be asked to raw lifters when they are asking the same questions? Like, what can you do raw to an equipped lifter? And to me, it's people that think it is, that it's actually divisive, I, I don't agree with that. And the reason being is as lifters, specifically in the equipped division, uh, we evangelize, or we should be, run what you're brung and have fun. I've, I've stolen that line from Barzi and Vizieri. I think it's a really important one because – at the end of the day, whether you want to have five layers of slanger on or you want to go as raw as it gets and you want to bench naked, it, it, do your thing, man. You know, Eric, you've mentioned a couple times, like, why do people care? Like, this is how I enjoy competing. It's how you enjoy competing. If it's legal, let them run it. Yeah, I, 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 would, I actually, when we talk about our point counterpoint, Mr. Bain, I would love to have someone on mm-hmm. who really is anti-equipped lifting and thinks it's a circus and thinks yeah. it should be banned. Like yeah. Again, you can dislike it. Sure. Sure, you don't have to participate in it. You don't have to promote it. But why do you care how, how other people want to lift weights? Like, why do you care? Right. Does it, does it, it takes away from you? How? Yeah, 
it, agreed. And so, so Sean and I had this conversation. Plus, it was just super dope that uh, you know we had to have this Zoom conversation halfway around the world uh, while he's in Africa. And so it was like 6 a.m. where I was at, and uh, I want to say it was like 3 p.m. where he was. So pretty cool. So I and, he, he, and he's a Christian missionary, and it was one of his parishioners that. No, it turns out it no, it was actually somebody from the gym back here in uh, in America. Oh, okay, I, th- I I understood at first that it was one of his uh, his parishioners, but no, it was not. So I was now. Uh, here's the next question. Maybe he would have to answer this. I wonder if the person that said that. I wonder if they're actually a Christian themselves. And, and great the, question. And the reason I ask that is that it seems as though often. Uh, those that are not particularly believers often will try to use someone's face, faith against them. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that less likely with uh, fellow believers has yeah. been my experience. So, so, yeah, so that's certainly an excellent question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, not going to put that person on blast either, but it's, I, I did get some additional context on it. So, um, so I posted in my story, uh, I'll just read verbatim, poll time. Many raw lifters ask how much equipped lifters could lift raw. Is it, Always. <laughs> is it divisive or unreasonable to ask raw lifters how much they can do equipped? And so I said there will be a hot topic conversation coming soon, whether it's going to be me and uh, Sean. Originally we do it on Instagram Live or we do it here on the show. And I in- invited people to feel free to extend their answer in my DMs. Now, it looks like you got – uh, 638 people that looked at your poll. This was in the first 12 hours. Wow. You got 42 votes for yes. You got 108 votes for no. Correct. So percentage-wise, 31% of the people think yes, it is divisive or unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And 69% nice. say no. Correct. And it was inter- it was very interesting to see some people that voted either way. And I should have screenshotted those. I, I did not. Um but yeah, so it was super, super interesting. But I did grab a few of the really fun messages. Just looking at some of the ones that you have on your thing. I mean, there's yeah. uh, there's at least one fully equipped lifter who voted yes, it's unreasonable, yep. which I thought was interesting. And, I'd and, like to know the context of that. And there's going to be one super interesting comment on here. So uh, we can just kind of go back and forth on some of these. I got like half a dozen. Uh, some, some of these are raw lifters. Some are equipped. So at Midwest Harley says... While it is an undisputed fact that in equipped lifting you need to have a strong raw base, asking a raw lifter how much they can lift equipped, I believe, would be a moot point, as the technical skills required for the for an equipped lifting session is an entirely different animal altogether. I generally agree with that. I do, and, and I think let's go back to the question. So what is the question? The question is, raw lifters often ask us equipped lifters, mm-hmm. how much can you lift raw? Most of us could probably give a sense, but like we don't. Like, you know now, you don't maximize your raw strength. It's plausible if we, if we did a peak for you, Mr. Bain, you might not do as well as you did your last raw meet, even with a peak. Yep. And if you did it off the cuff, you almost definitely right now would not do as well as you did in your last raw meet, correct? I would agree with that. Okay. And not that you still wouldn't be strong raw, you would, but you're not optimizing that bottom end strength when you're training, especially for multiply. I can tell you right now, I probably couldn't even squat that much raw because my hip just couldn't handle it if we could do hashtag franz raw i could do a little bit better um but to ask an equipped lifter what they can lift raw to some degree it's somewhat of a moot point as well because i don't know what i can squat raw raw because i would never do it sure i could i could bench raw generally i'm not going to tear my pec off the bone mm-hmm. and i could probably conventional deadlift raw and i did Eww. one push pull meet uh raw bench mm-hmm. conventional raw deadlift um but in the same way, like, 
why is it unreasonable? If it's if you're going to ask me what I can do in the manner in which I don't compete, why is it unreasonable for me to ask you? Same thing. The same thing. To lift in a way that you don't compete. Right. And you say, well, I don't know. And I would say, exactly. Yeah, I, d- I don't know either. Yeah. So, moving on. Uh, yes. Uh, so, yes. It, it's one of those where, yeah, Midwest, at Midwest Harley said, yeah, it's kind of a moot point And it is a different animal. It's a different type of strength. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask, I guess, going back to the premise of the question. No. Um, at Blue Collar Conjugate says... When I started gear lifting, my raw took a huge hit to the point we just talked about. Yep. That's why raw to geared is unreasonable. The latter is unreasonable because my form already resembled a gear lifter when I switched. Same. I had a very wide stance. My bench grip was wider than average, and I pulled sumo. The superior pull. That did not stop me from getting stapled in squat suit on my <laughs> knees caving in hard in just briefs. Hell, I still haven't figured out my bench shirt and I'm a gear lifter for almost three years. Yeah, I... I, I I guess the premise is, is it unreasonable? Some people say, yes, it's unreasonable because how could I possibly know what I would lift equipped because I've never put on equipment. Uh, agreed. I agree with all those things. And, and here's the thing. None of these things, these statements are going to be necessarily re- revelation to anybody, but I think it's important because in some of these cases you have equipped lifters and raw lifters saying, no, of course not, but it really truly raises the question. Well, then why is it even a thing? But again, it's because of an ignorance to what the technical aspect of equipped lifting is. Just look at any kind of equipped lift that is ever posted on any kind of like this just regular power right. lifting yeah. forum. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna say like the strength sport news things oh like my God. like Barband or some of those that kind of follow like CrossFit and powerlifting and Olympic lifting and I would say there's a lot of clickbaity things that they post. Yep, exactly. But or if you see somebody post something on like reels, because that gets mm-hmm. more views. Yep. Like our boy Timor Posted a video, and he wasn't even lifting equipped. He yeah. was just doing like a pin press. And those asshat kids. And like, his, I, I don't know if those are fellow high school students of his or just whatever. Asshats on Instagram, they're like, you're not even doing it a full range of motion. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like when you practice for football, you also don't always go 11 on 11. Yeah, you, you know, go full, full go. Full speed, full pads. Right. Dumbass. So <laughs> let's yeah. go ahead and move on, Mr. Anyway. Bain. At Lift This Weight, who, by the way, is coached by previous guest Brian Hill. And married to previous guest, Shannon Olay. Ah, very good. Yeah. So, uh, Stefan Slater. Get his name right. Stefan, not Stephen. It's unreasonable because 99% of them have absolutely have absolutely never had gear on. And it's reasonable to say that 99.9% of them never have actually seen any gear in real life. I would generally say that's probably close to true. Many of the raw lifters out there, again, because they train at facilities that aren't necessarily geared towards geared lifters. So, they have heard of these things or they've seen them on social media, but I've never actually been around it to experience like, oh, this is going to require a much different style of lifting uh, than than I do currently. Yeah, and I, and I think going back to what my original point was uh, when we started going off on the tangent on the, the Instagram reels with Timor is that if you look at the comments on just any kind of geared lift at all, mm-hmm. 90% of them are people that are ignorant to powerlifting in general and just like, yeah, well, what could he do without that shirt on? Or right. what could he do without his knee wraps? Or what could he do without a sumo squat or sumo deadlift? Get out of here. I, you, actually, you'll get those comments on raw IPF lifts that they right. post on their Instagram. Right. And people are like, oh, what could she do without that arch? Ridiculous. <laughs> I, I want to take this one only because there's a little more additional context. One of the things that I always say, or not always say, but as this has come up, that I have said is a good thing about this question is to me, it plants a seed because I remember the first time I saw multiply lifting, 
getting asked, well, what do you think you could do with that? I'm like, oh, I don't know, but I kind of like try it out. Because again, I was seeing people lift weights that just to me were unfathomable at that point. And so to me, it planted the seed. So that, that kind of gives some context on this. So at World Class Wellness Fitness, I don't know, it sounds like the guy is kind of looking for something to complain about or is just hypersensitive. But I do agree with the seed thing. I think it's cool when lifters try crossing over. It's just really hard for most to dip their toe into equipped lifting because of cost, lack of crew, etc. We've mentioned barrier to entry and definitely the need to optimally train normally requires a crew. Says I try to rotate competing in all divisions, but I'm a dinosaur. Like the self-deprecation there. But I think it's important when you talk about people crossing over. I, I like to point to two examples because it I think they're phenomenal ones. You've got Amber Hansen, elite lifter, both equipped and multiply. And Anthony Hobica. And obviously, it's Anthony, is a, both of them are friends. But Ante, I mean, second of the WPO, he has won the Arnold multiple times. I mean, elite lifter, both raw and multiply. And I do feel that is also, those two specific, specifically are planting the seed of, wow, like, I could do both. I don't have to just be a specialist at raw or multiply if I choose not to be. Sure. I, I personally don't buy the cost. I think, uh, no, don't get me wrong. Equipment can be expensive, but I don't think that's I don't think that's what's holding people back. We have a no. lifter here, and I, I like him, uh, Jack Cheddar, yeah. who literally has a hundred and thirty dollars knee sleeves from Inzer. Fucking knee that, that you I, can set a forty five plate on. I, those are the thickest knee sleeves I've ever seen in my fucking life. I mean, I don't know what they're called. The These new, are thick like John Chun. The new Inzer knee sleeves are fucking unbelievable. They are so goddamn thick. I, they're thicker than like if I wrap somebody's knees. That's they are absolutely. I, it's unbelievable. So you, don't tell me that raw lifters can't afford stuff because, <laughs> by the way, they're all paying for coaching from some online coach, and they charge done just as many meets as they have, and they charge way more than like someone like me does that maybe has more experience. They're, well, their, their SBD outfit costs five hundred dollars. Right, they have an expensive. Uh, singlet. They have expensive knee sleeves, probably multiple pairs, expensive shoes, expensive belt, expensive wrist wraps, bedazzled out belt from Pioneer, which is really cool. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, but, I love it. But don't tell me that cost, every sport costs money. I think on the grand scheme, powerlifting is actually not that expensive of a sport. You basically need a gym membership at the at the very least if all you want is a gym membership and a singlet, that's the minimum. And then enter meets. Yeah. Like you, it's not like you have to enter a bunch of meets to be an active participant. You could enter two meets a year. Yeah. And so we're talking that's all in. We're talking all in cost. Forty dollar month gym membership. We're talking a hundred dollar one time singlet charge. Maybe about another hundred dollars. Uh, and enter two meets a year. Let's say one hundred and fifty for one, a hundred for another, yep. including the membership cost. So we're we're at what like. Six seven hundred dollars. Maybe talk to guys that golf. Talk to guys play that, one round. Is that uh, right? Talk to guys that do other. You know, play other kinds of like bowling leagues, fucking softball shit, tennis. I mean, there are definitely sports oh, yeah. that are. Wet. How about bikes? Uh, you know, oh, bikers. God. How about triathletes? How about runners? You, you know how much a, tra- a track bike is? How much? Twenty seven hundred dollars for some of these fucking bikes. And dude. people are. And gr- don't get me wrong. An Inzer Leviathan Ultra Pro is not cheap. It's no. an expensive investment, but. It's also going to last you basically forever. Essentially. Multiply gear can last. Single ply gear will stretch out. That's the the major disadvantage of single ply gear. Multiply gear, I like. I have multiply gear in the back that's probably older than Timor, mm-hmm. and it still works just fine. In yeah. fact, Timor's used some of it. Exactly. Uh, at strongest guy you've never heard of. He's very fucking strong, by I the way. I think I have heard of him. He's very fucking strong. I made a post about this. I hate it. If you could be if you could be great in gear, 
put it on and show us. I mean, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, yeah, that's very and, short and concise. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, I don't. I don't disagree. And, and here's the thing: uh, there's a lot of people that hate on gear that have never tried it, never seen anybody tried it. Going back to uh, whose point was that? Somebody else's point was that 99% have never even seen oh, it. I mh- mean, seven. There, there's a lot of online haters that have mm-hmm. probably never even like. It won't rest till it's dead. <laughs> that would be a great point counterpoint, Mr. Bain. I'm not going to be on that one. <laughs> uh, I need a moderator. I'm sure there's one that used to live around here. Probably get you guys connected. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, And I will say, going back to my band shirt hate, that is one of the things I dislike about band shirts is that you know you could just throw one on and do a bunch of weight yeah although as you said in our uh our interview point counterpoint with hunter you are likely going to have a larry wheels disciple go buy an f8 shirt yep off of anderson powerlifting and fucking like snap their fucking arm snap their arm or impale or themselves eat or, fucking steel and it's gonna i was thinking about that as i was listening to the episode somebody's gonna like almost kill themselves dropping the bar on their neck at a commercial gym yep. wearing one of those shirts yep. because they have no business wearing them and the learning curve is much lower mm-hmm. than a uh than a regular bed shirt much easier to get on much easier to use someone's gonna get hurt absolutely not the people they, who get hurt with the regular they, bed they shirts. already are uh, yes but even yeah. again a larry wheels disciple is going to go out there and do something Really stupid. Yeah. So it's gonna. Oh, it's they're gonna feel like Larry's girlfriend when he's done beating the fuck out of him. Got it. Or when he uses one of the uses her head to mop the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So. Uh, oh, I'm I'm reading this one. Oh, perfect. At our Greer fifty. That's an easy one. I don't lift equipment, so I can't lift a damn thing. Laughy face. Laughy face. Hey, Bobby. How's the USAPL's dick taste? Yikes. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Uh, let's move on from that. <laughs> By the way, you can check out my. Uh, my Facebook post. Eric, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Is the USAPL holding you hostage? Yeah, I have a couple good pictures. Blink uh, twice if you're okay. Yeah. Had a couple good pictures from 3D Fitness and their USAPL uh, wall paraphernalia. I may yeah. have to literally just send them an APF banner, an extra one that I have Perfect. in the back. And, and by the way, I say all that. Bobby Greer is a good friend of ours. He has lifted here at the APF. Uh, I understand that there is still a little bit of draw to the USAPL for some lifters. Totally fine. I am going to have some fun with it because I think it's ludicrous what they are making handlers and coaches do uh, for the Arnold this year. Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, yeah, we talked about this today. Apparently, yeah. if you want to handle a lifter at a USAPL meet, you have to be a, a, a member? member. Yep. Now, is that's like not, a that, cash that, grab. That's not true at local meets, correct? Cause, I don't know. Well, because I was just at a local meet and no one asked me shit. Yeah. Well, maybe because you're, you know, you're an official. It's fine. I guess. I was known. Yes. Um, you're no, a known entity. Yeah, I was a known entity. Uh, I, you know, I may, I don't know that I will need to, but I will offer my services to one Marissa Brokus yeah. if, she, if she needs my help at the Lombard US, useful, yes. US Apple meet. U- US Apple Lombard. Yeah. US Apple Lombard meet. Uh, not, not USAP Australia. Yeah. <laughs> can we tell, can we just take a quick segue to that? <laughs> sure. So the USAPL is expanding internationally. Um, Good for them. As long as we're talking about the USAPL. And so a recent post, and was was this a real post or was this parody, where somebody posted that there's no... I I heard it was real. USAPL Australia. Now, I get why you might want to affiliate with the USAPL, but 
I think you probably should come up with a different name Wouldn't than USA AUPL, like USAPL Australia. Like, how about like uh, like Powerlifting Australia? Yeah. Or maybe that already exists. I don't know. I don't know that uh, Australia Powerlifting, like something. Right. Like maybe the USAPL should come up with their own like international federation name, like you know, World Power. I don't know. I, yeah, World Powerlifting. No, that already exists. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Power, powerlifting world. I don't know. Yeah, powerlifting world. Yeah, uh, powerlifting so they, universe. They, they, they powerlifting America. Fucking powerlifting world. Yeah, we're gonna name ours powerlifting yeah, world. Fuck you guys. So yeah, there's apparently USAPL Australia, which is yeah. U- United States of America powerlifting Australia. Australia. Sure, 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 sure. No problem. <laughs> that's that's like another story I told you guys earlier today, where a. High school in <coughs> Minneapolis, Minnesota, or yep. around that area, yep. had, a, had a gym dedicated <laughs> whose guys <laughs> whose last name was White that donated the money, and so they they called the gym the White Powerlifting Gym, and no one realized that was maybe an issue until like that was like on the, like wall. the christening of the- and they like had the like ribbon cutting ceremony, and the guy said, "Yes, we're dedicating the White Powerlifting Gym." And nobody thought, like, maybe you should have added another word in there, like, call it the... Was it dedicated on January 6th? Maybe we could have called it, like, the White Strength and Power Gym something. or something. I don't know. Uh, but Jeez. anyways, that, that's a weird one. And th- we'll, we'll have some more. We'll go into yeah. some of the USAPL situation. We, we, will, we will go through that entire saga yeah, at some yeah. point. Darth um, Kellertine. Uh, at, love you, Bobby. At RJAT underscore DWBCDC. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a really complicated name. That is... I mean, why not? Aha. Raw lifters like to act like that's how to determine equipped lifter strength, so let's just throw it back. LOL. Just throw it back at him. Fuck it. Right. That's the point, is that equipped lifters, now we might know, like I always joke with the raw lifter on here, like raw lifting is for my warm-ups. Raw lifting is what I do in the off-season. You're talking about practice? (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about practice here? Raw lifting is practice. Practice. Uh, So I agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, Ralph's, uh, Ralph's an equipped lifter. They do basically everything there, Death Wish Barbell. Oh, yeah. okay, that's what that is. Yes, DWBC, yes, Death sir. Wish Barbell. Yes, company. Okay, yes. all right. I was confused on the name there. Oh, yeah, like it, every time he like, either comments or, po- or like posts something, I was like, fuck, because then his wife has a very similar setup with her initials, and I always have to take a second to see who. Like, who uh, is this? Yeah. Yes, yes. So Jerry M.F. Cool. I get the point, but I think 99% of the time they ask because they don't understand what the fuck is going on. And they still refer to it as a sumo squat and a bench shirt is a slingshot. When they try to be dicks about it, but just end up looking fucking stupid. Yeah, I think there are sometimes people when they ask questions, they're genuinely curious. Like, hey, what, like people that... Ply curious? Yeah. Well, I think people that like, they're like, well, what is that thing? What does it do? And like, what could you do without it? Yeah. And most of the time I explain like, you know, it, it does add a lot of weight, but that's the way you train and you train to optimize it. Because they're trying to connect. Like if they don't understand, they're trying to connect something they do Right. Understand. That's like when you tell somebody you lift weights, yeah. and, which I never do. I no. don't I don't talk about my lifting to people. You put the thing over your head? Right. And they're like, oh, I, you know, and you tell them what you they lift because a family member like encouraged you to say your numbers, which yeah. I really don't like doing. Yeah. But somebody's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I had a cousin in high school that squatted like 600, but now he just does leg extensions, leg curls, and leg press. Yeah, like, knee injuries and shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, he used to bench like in his basement like 500 pounds. I, 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 that's why I generally, unless somebody has a genuine interest, I don't, I don't bring up my own lifting. I don't even necessarily bring up the gym per se. People ask me about it because they know I own a gym, but yep. I try not to talk about my own lifting because I don't want to have those stupid conversations where people are trying to connect to something that is 
unconnectable Correct. for them in general. Correct. Um, and I think it's similar with equip lifting, even with people that are lifters or gym bros. Yes. At Zach J twenty or two two zero zero. Personally, I don't think it really matters. People are going to lift how they like to lift, and I feel like that's what really matters. That everyone can acknowledge that people lifting in or out of gear work hard to to be good at their part of the sport. I, I mean, sure, Zach, I agree with that one hundred percent. And that was my point when people go off saying like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop till geared lifting dies." Yep. It's like why? I honestly would like to ask the question like, why do you care? What effect does it have on your life that I like to put on a silly canvas squat suit every couple of weeks and squat a lot of weight? You probably squat more than me raw. Yeah. Don't care. I, uh, but guess what? I like to do this because it means I can continue lifting and doing the sport that I enjoy. And by the way, I've been doing it for 22 years. So Longer than some of you have been alive. Uh, that's not to say that necessarily that, me, that means I'm better or that means I'm right, but I'll probably still be doing this 22 years from now, and I almost guarantee these raw zealots will not be. In fact, they may not be doing it in two years. <coughs> To, to, to finish up what Zach was saying, you know, uh, I feel like these types of conversations are divisive and stop people from enjoying this, what the sport has to offer, like friendship, heavy competition, invited atmospheres, and insane feats of strength. I feel just feel the more we push this topic, the more of a divide happens, and that already is a huge issue in powerlifting, especially multiply versus raw. Just my two cents. Take that which you will, smiley face. Zach, as Eric said, like let, let people do what they want to do. I do agree that this needs to be a a bridge conversation. It's not a throwing it back in people's face, though we have fun with it. We're talking about having fun with this. I love the way that this is being posed. Like, listen, like I don't want to say, Oh, Hey, like what could you do equipped? Because I'm trying to get one up on you. I'm like, I'm saying, Hey, have you ever thought about like just expanding your horizon? Like you may throw on a pair of briefs and like this fucking sucks, but at least then you can come from a point of experience and go, yeah, I got, I got in those things. I couldn't get in a position. I didn't fucking like it. I didn't like how they made me feel once I got out, out of them and I started squatting in the end. It was great. Or I tried to put the shirt on. The pressure was just not something I enjoyed. And, and again, that's not because somebody is weak or, you know, is a sissy or anything like that. It's like, listen, you just didn't enjoy it. I happen to think that the pressure when you're benching is fucking cool. I don't like it in the moment, but I think it's fucking cool. And I think the fact that you can beat that, I mean, Eric, you've had a, a bench shirt on for two fucking decades. And at some point you, you get to like the fact that you've beaten that pressure. Yeah. There, I, we talked about this in our review of Dave Kirshen's gear book. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said it flat out at the beginning of that book. Equipped lifting is better than raw lifting. Yeah. And I'll, 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 Agree you'll, with that you'll, hot you'll take. Die, you'll die on that hill? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that hot take. Equip yeah. lifting is harder than raw lifting. Equip lifting is better than raw lifting. Now, I like raw lifting. I think it's great, and I think it's... Some of the stuff that the, the raw lifters are doing, like the fucking deadlifts in the last five, ten years are just... You can't... I mean... They're just unbelievable what some people are Jamal doing Jamal Browner is going to pull 1,000 pounds in the next two years. I mean, it's That's unbelievable. There's a guy in Russia who benched... 739 or 793. Okay. And it looks like is it's it, on a bench that's like from like is this 1970. Like, like the whole fucking gym is like all red? Yes, I think so. Dude, this motherfucker, that is fake shit. Okay. Look, just watch his videos. That bar, when it touches his chest, does not move. You go over to watch Julius Maddox when he's got 777 on the Has bar. this guy done a meet? No. Okay, all right. Because of, you know, various COVID restrictions. Get ah, fucked. Okay. Get fucked. Well, nonetheless, there are, I mean, Julius Maddox being a good example. Yeah. We, we, we know he's done it because we've yeah. seen it in person. Exactly. Guys like him that are doing 
unbelievable raw lift. So right. I'm a supporter of raw lifting. If gear disappeared tomorrow, I would still lift weights. Right. And I would Amen. I would maybe compete raw. It would be hard for me to compete in the squat. Um, maybe I'd just become a, a an old push, washed up push push pull specialist. Push pull push pull specialist. But I like raw lifting. But that being said, I think equipped lifter is cooler. I like it better. Mm-hmm. And that's why I support and promote it. That doesn't mean I've, I'm not going to support it's more raw lifting. I, I like it. There's, there is a higher level of technical skill required with equipped lifting. You, and you can't deny that. You cannot. Uh, and, and there are some lifters who've tried. The Lilla Bridges being examples. They trained with Zen Zen for a while in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. They tried geared lifting. They did a couple geared meets. Yeah. I remember them doing it. And they didn't like it. And I think they didn't like it because of those challenging variables involved. I yeah. think they're a very like N equals one kind of like, hey, we squat heavy, then we deadlift heavy, yep. and we alternate, and that's how we get strong. And they're, they've all been extremely strong, strong raw, extremely strong. I would make the argument that had they maybe adopted a little bit more of that quip lifting, they might have been able to extend their careers a bit longer. Possibly. Maybe not. But there's an example of some individuals that tried equip lifting, really didn't like it. I give them credit for trying it. Now, it's also interesting that I remember Ernie Littlebridge Sr. wearing some of the fucking tightest briefs I've ever seen in my life. Like, took him like 45 minutes to get into his briefs. Jesus. Uh, Legitimately. (coughs) And so there's probably a middle ground where you don't have to wear briefs that broken in require you 45 yeah. minutes to get into yeah exactly like, it takes me five minutes to get into my predator briefs yeah exactly. and they're they're pretty tight um and hey dave hoff slips in his gear pretty quickly as well it does and it does. Uh, to your point i think it's more of a chess than checkers raw yep. lifting if you just lift the weight yep. if if you misgroove it you're not getting it the next time most you likely you can't misgroove our fucking raw lift. yeah and to their point hey it's it's a more pure form because it's just hey who's stronger or not i I can appreciate that. I do appreciate that. But but it's not about who's strong with raw. It's who can execute that day. If it was just who, who's stronger, you just have a force plate, and you just see who can create the most force. Correct. And that's why powerlifting is a sport and not just a test of strength. Not a measurement, correct. Right. It's not a measurement. It's a, it, it is a, it's a contest. So, yeah, interesting topic, Mr. Bain. Yeah, and, um, and, dude, my DMs blew up. Like I, I legitimately got over 100 DMs on this singular poll. And and I think it 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 does rub some people the wrong way, especially raw yeah, lifters. Absolutely. Like, well, how would I know what I could lift equipped? And I might turn that back at them. How would I know I could lift raw? I, I probably had an idea. Like, yeah, like I could raw bench in the high two hundreds, maybe close yep. to three hundred if I optimize it. I could probably still deadlift in the high four hundreds, close to five hundred yep. raw. I don't know what the fuck I could squat raw because it's yeah. too old for that. Maybe a plate. Yeah, I, I could definitely squat a plate raw. Definitely. I mean, Bill Carpenter used to say, when people asked him how much he got out of a shirt, he would say 700 pounds because that's what he benched in his shirt. Yeah. And that was his point. How much you get out of a shirt? 711 pounds because that's how much I bench in the shirt. There you go. I, I think that was a great answer to it because that was always the question. How much do you get out of your shirt? 700 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the number. Yeah. Next week and beyond, Mr. Bain, we've got some more interviews on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I will soon start diving. I'll admit I haven't really cracked open the Anabolics book too much yet. Using to prop um, the door open. Yeah, I've been using I mean, it is that thick. Um, you know, we're, we're putting that USAPL IPF timeline of the burner, back burner for now. We will get to it if you're, you're curious, but um, I have a lot of research on it. I have a lot of documents. I am still kind of waiting for those minutes. the minutes from uh, that 
extraordinary. 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 Extraordinary General Assembly meeting where the USA polls voted out. I did talk about you did. I, I, did I find the video or did you find the video? One you, of us. You, you found the video, the, the YouTube video of it. Yeah, there is a YouTube video of it. It's like so two hours long. Yeah, it, it's it's probably very dry, and it's maybe not something that's on the yeah, top of my it, list. It's my guess is a lot of pompous circumstance. Yeah, and, and then shit. and then nothing, and then just vote them out. Yeah, uh, that would be my guess. But I should watch that. That is something on the back burner. But we've got some interviews and such on the way. Um, if you do like the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts with words. Yes, please, and leave us feedback on our Instagram account. At Strength Anger, you can drop us a DM. You can also, of course, find Mr. Bain at Bain316. Indeed. Um, I've got multiple Instagram accounts, at 2XL Powerlifting, at Team Stone Powerlifting. Um, I also run at APF Powerlifting, at APF Illinois, along with at Strength Anger. So I'm all over the Instagram. At Stone Stories, at Stone Feet, all, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Those those are those are uh, those are only, those only are blacklisted accounts. Nah, sure, 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 sure. Um, you can check out our merch store. Uh, the link tree is in our bio. Um, we love seeing merch out there when nobody cares about soccer. Exactly. Or you got the shirt at the Lombard meet. Um, wrong. Midwest side. Wrong is always a popular one. Yes. I think. Nobody cares about soccer. Maybe, maybe the, the that's top. probably the, the people's favorite one because they they enjoy them. So, well, I care about soccer. No, no one fucking cares about soccer. <laughs> My grandson plays soccer. No one fucking cares. <laughs> I, people care about football, yes. but not soccer. People care about people care about football. Whether you're in America, you're in Europe, you're in like people care about football. No one gives a fuck about soccer. I agree. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>